can see. Otherwise, with Nancy Richards. Yay. Otherwise, it is with me, Nancy Richards, here on SFM Talking Women. It's Wednesday, it's our health desk, and what we're looking at today is a subject that uh, I think suspect affects a lot of women, so mothers and daughters and aunties and lots and lots of women. What we're looking at is how to cope when there's an addiction in the family. Well, we certainly know that drugs are a big scourge of the 21st century, not just in South Africa, right across the world, but it doesn't help anybody who's suffering, and what we're looking at today um, is how to deal with that, and we have with us uh, an addiction counsellor, so I'm really looking forward to what she has to say, Farinaz Dyer. Hi, Farinaz. Hi. We also have the two women who put together a television series called To Hell and Back, and they are Sharon Farr and Lee Otten. Hi, Sharon, Lee. Hi, thank you with us too. Inspired by, your, um, in by, by what you've done, and I think it's been quite a sort of a, a sensitive series that you've put together. And let me say right now that it's coming up, I think the first episode airs this Sunday at 9 o'clock on SABC2. Yeah, oh, that's right. It's 9 in the evening, yes. Super. Okay, so we know where we're coming from. Um, it's just in terms of drug addiction, I think we know the statistics are out there. We hear them again and again, particularly here in the Cape, on the Cape Flats, in areas right across the country, nonetheless. And I just want to read you this little piece. I was just doing a little bit of research for this, and I read on a site called the South Coast Recovery uh, Drug Rehabilitation Centre. They say... The current and much extended menu of illegal substances, that as well as marijuana and LSD, now features such exotic items as cocaine, heroin, crack, crystal meth, ecstasy, cat, cat, tick, LSD, GHB, GBL and Mandrax. And I guess that there are a whole lot more after that. But it's what they say is it's opened up a veritable cornucopia of new opportunities for drug abuse in South Africa. But perhaps the most serious consequence of this steady proliferation of these new drugs is that dealers have now placed them within easy reach who were those who were previously protected. And tragically, it's the very, very young that have become the most recent victims of drug abuse in South Africa. And statistics show that the incidence of pre-teen addiction in some parts of the country is becoming a significant problem. I would think significant problem is probably something of an understatement. Uh, Drug abuse and its potential effects transcend all social barriers with uh, such divisions as the constructs of racial diversity, religious persuasion, economic or class distinction. Everybody and anybody is affected. And one recurring and frightening finding that's come to light in recent drug abuse statistics is that the use of illegal substances is often seen by their users as a means of escaping the misery and depression that result from poverty and rising unemployment. Sadly, though, far from presenting the users with a solution to their problems, drug abuse is not only more likely to intensify them in the longer term, but may also result in far-reaching consequences to the family, to their friends, and to their communities as a whole. And I guess that's what we're talking about. So that's, uh, that's from the South Coast uh, Rehabilitation Centre. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you'd like to give us a call, maybe you have an experience of drugs in your family or amongst your friends in your community, the number to call is 0892102010. 0892102010. And what we're looking at here is both your experience your input, maybe you have some solutions, maybe you have some questions, because we do have with us uh, an addiction counsellor, which is wonderful. So give us a call, 0892102010, and if you'd like to, you can find us on Facebook, it's otherwise on SAFM. Stay with us. They are everywhere. They have shown leadership in their communities and their chosen fields. They may not have all the answers or know the right questions to ask, but their passion and focus inspires others to dream more, learn more, 
and do more. Nominate young South African leaders between the ages of 14 to 35 years, public or private organizations that contribute towards youth development for the South African Youth Awards 2013. Nomination should be submitted by 30th April 2013 at any NYDA branch or log on to nyda.gov.za or call 0800-525252. NYDA, our youth, our future. Otherwise, on SAFM. Otherwise, it is here on SAFM. We're talking about how to cope when there's an addiction in the family. And addiction, as we know, is a very broad, sweeping word. It covers all sorts of things, uh, drugs in particular, but also alcohol and all sorts of other lifestyle addictions. And the television series that uh, triggered our interest in this one is called To Hell and Back. Well, let's hear what it's all about and what they had in mind with Sharon Farr, who's director-producer. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Nancy. Um, yeah, give us, give us the big picture here. What, did you, what was the germ of the idea here? Well, in fact, the SABC put a brief out for this particular series, and we then wrote a proposal pitching for it, and that's, you know, went through the process of that. Um, and what they were looking for was a six-part docu-reality series on lifestyle addictions. Um, lifestyle addictions uh, that are covered in the series in terms of the six addicts that um, were selected um, are sex and love addiction, gambling, um, food, as in overeating, and then the corollary of that being we have a, a, a young woman or a woman who's a bulimic um, as well as an alcoholic. Um, there's also, you know, self-destructive behavior and codependency in amongst all of that. Um, and then some of, some of the addicts also have substance addiction as well. Um, so what the series is about, though, is that we follow them through 28 days of rehab in an addiction clinic. Um, episode one, which is the one that's going out this Sunday, uh, is more documentary style. And we see the six characters in their day-to-day lives, at home, at work, you know, in their addiction. Um, and then it ends with them entering the facility. And then episode two to six um, is more reality style. And then we actually follow them through their 28 days and the undulations that occur um, as they move towards finding the tools that they need to live healthy, happy, whole lives. Sure. Lee, Lee Otten, you were your partner in the, in the Shoot the Breeze productions who mm-hmm. put this together. How did those people feel about having their addictions followed, their, their rehab followed? We put out an ad in the newspaper, and they responded, you know, various newspapers. Mm. Um, and I think very excited to have the opportunity to go into a facility like Harmony Clinic, um, obviously rehabilitation is obviously quite expensive and this was sponsored um, and with wonderful counselling so um, I think they all were very, really very excited to, to have this opportunity that they wouldn't have otherwise yeah, had Yeah, well um, I guess to have it paid for would be a huge uh, incentive Absolutely, mm. and for it to be you know, a, a really good process that they were going yeah. through Fair enough. I suppose the, the, the issue really here is that those people who volunteered, if you like, had already made the decision to do something about it. And that's the big step, isn't it? And we're talking about lifestyle addiction, whether it's any one of the lists that Sharon just read out there. Um, first, you have to recognize it. Then you have to want to do something about it. Is, is that the block, the initial block? Well, in an ideal world, that's the initial block. A lot of people come into treatment and they don't believe that they have a problem. Um, and that's really? uh, and they yeah. come to the treatment even not believing that they have a problem. Yeah, like family intervention, um, 
And they come in and thinking the problem is not so bad. And then a big part of our job is to show them that just how bad it is. And um, with those who don't believe there's a problem, we help them to, to just have a look at, the, at their lives, look at the reality, in what state my life is, and then they decide, actually, it's yeah. worse than I thought. Actually, there could be something wrong here. So that's a huge part of the process. Am I, am I reading denial there? Then they come in and sort of say, no, but, you know, I'll be out of here in a week, no problem. Exactly. Denial is a symptom of the disease of addiction. It's not actually a choice. Um, they present with denial, and then we help them to dismantle that denial um, in our groups, doing the group processes, individual counseling, lecture, teaching them, psychoeducation. Learning about the disease um, is a huge part of it because people don't know. How do you know when a habit has become an addiction? You know, again, a bit of a fine line there. Mm, a very fine line that I don't like to comment on. Yeah, yeah. Actually, because, yeah, it's yeah. just uh, one of those subjects that. But I suppose that the fact of, as you mentioned, family intervention there, if people around you are being affected, if, if your family and your friends and your community are being affected, mm. maybe that... Chances are there's a problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does, it, does it usually happen like that, that family pushes or friends push people towards it? A lot of the time, yeah. Um, because like you mentioned, denial. So the addict on his own is probably not going to come to the conclusion that there's a problem. So the people outside of him uh, sort of reflect back the, the fact that, you know, my family's not happy with me, my wife is crying, you know, my boss doesn't want me around, social events I'm not invited to. So these are the things that they see and then make them start to think that maybe something isn't right. Maybe I could just say something yeah. there. Um, I mean, as a, a non-professional person in this regard, um, something that I observed during the 28 days was that um, it seems almost that the, the line, from my understanding, is a level of unmanageability. Um, and I think in a way that, that allows for, you know, what, what one person's level of unmanageability is obviously different to another. But it seems like unmanageability is the point at which people then need help, um, you know, when they're not functioning um, in, their, in their lives in the way that they need to. And yet we've all heard that term functioning alcoholic, which always sounds to me like a bit of a cop out. But, uh, but you can see where, you know, how that line has come. Uh, just going back to what I was reading there earlier, sadly, far from presenting the users with a solution to their problems, drug abuse, i.e. any particular whatever substance it is you may be that you're using, is not only likely, more likely to intensify the problem in the longer term, but may also result in far-reaching consequences. So... I suppose, finally, coming back to the addiction and the reason for the addiction, first of all, you have to find out what's caused the addiction in the first place, what it is that's been troubling that person, that they've turned to overeating, undereating, gambling, sex, whatever it may be. Mm. Is that where you start? Well, there's not always a cause. Um, mm. There's two schools of thought. One, sure, that, you know, addicts are... are Due to the environment or the upbringing, they turn to substances um, as a means to cope. And then there's the other school of thought that believes it's hereditary, that you're born with a predisposition, and that no matter what family you grow up in, what um, community, um, how your upbringing is, you're gonna, if you pick up a substance, you're going to get addicted to it, and your life is going to end up unmanageable, like Sharon said. Can we maybe look at one of the case histories? I think the first, let's start with the first episode, which is being screened on Sunday. Sharon? 
talk us through? I don't know if we're using names here or pseudonyms or how. Well, well, no, I mean it's a reality show, so mm. I mean it's it's people's real names. I think in a way the six people that go on this journey um, represent both schools of thought in many ways, in the sense that, well, I mean I think what was very prevalent um, was quite a deep level of trauma. A lot of them had experienced trauma in their childhoods. A lot of them had had um, parents who had abandoned them in some form or another, one or both. Um, but then on the other hand, there was also um, the sense that often it was generational. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it seems to, to play to both of those schools. Of thought generational? In a way. As in somebody's father was an alcoholic and okay. then they became an alcoholic, you know. Yeah. Um, as in, yeah, so, so passing down from parents to kids. Yeah. Yeah, so those are um, but just some of the issues. So coming back to where you begin and, and where presumably you, you started with when you were shooting each one of the episodes, where do we start to unpack this person, whether they've been brought in by family or whether they started themselves? Where, where does one start? Well, it starts immediately when they um, go into um, the detox process. Um, our nurses already start to get information from them. So we get as much information as we can. We get a picture, and then we formulate a treatment plan. You know, how does this person, which direction, what do they need, where do we need to focus on? So it's a lot of information gathering initially, you know. And like you said, again, denial, a lot of the information we get is minimized. So um, it's not an easy job getting the information we need. Um, the detox process, that's presumably alcohol or drugs, but how do you detox somebody if, they're, if they've got a sex addiction or a gambling addiction? Well, they, it, don't, they don't need it so, so there's no, no. So that's a chemical thing. The yeah. detox process is a chemical thing. Absolutely. And do you have to go through that before you can do anything else if it's drugs or alcohol? You do. Yeah. Can that take a very long time? And a week? Or less, okay. depending on how much they've been using and what they've been using. So that is determined by a doctor. Um, he decides what they will use, when they will use it, for how long and what dosage. I'm just thinking that there, it's uh, the Harmony group that you're with, mm-hmm. isn't it? The, you take people in and you keep them in, uh, hence the, the high cost. But there are a lot of people, as we know, in different communities where, um, where the the, 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 the user or whatever a particular ad- addiction may be is not able to be isolated how does a family, how do you recommend that a family copes in that situation when you say not able to be isolated I mean not able to come into a, a home yeah, so they, they're staying at home I mean how do, you, how do you start to manage it so they are outpatient programs okay. yeah, where someone lives at home and they can attend groups um, a certain amount of days in the week so there's that option. There's also um, 12-step support groups that they can attend that are absolutely free. Um, the family can also get support at 12-step support groups. So while treatment is not the only option, you know, it is first prize because yeah, yeah. they need to be isolated from the drug. We're talking about how to cope with an addiction in the family, and if you'd like to join us, maybe you've got a question, maybe you've got some solutions, maybe it's been uh, a situation that's happened in your family. The number is 0892102010, The 12-step support group, um, that can apply, I mean, we, we sort of kind of associate it with uh, AA, with Alcohol and Alcoholics Anonymous, but does it work for other addictions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, 
Let's at this point take a moment and tell us exactly how the 12 steps work. Okay. So the 12 steps are basically, um, it's a spiritual program. Mm. And the foundation of that is, like you said, is deciding that I have a problem. My old way hasn't worked and I need a new way. And that's what the 12 steps are. The program offers the addict a new way of living. Mm. You know, it's a set of tools which, if applied, can... um, Firstly, relieve them of the obsession to use and then help them to turn their lives around completely in 12 simple steps. It's yeah. amazing, I know. Okay. Can, can you share the steps? Okay. Roughly. Roughly. Yes, I'm not going to hold you to each and every number. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, um, you know, just to get a, yeah. a sense of how it works. Sure, no problem. So the first step is admitting that you're powerless and that your life, your life had become unmanageable, as Sharon so aptly put it. She spent way too much time with addicts. Um, mm-hmm. Then the second step is about um, coming to believe that um, a power greater than yourself can restore your way of thinking. You know, because the thinking becomes quite warped and um, addicts believe reality um, a certain way of thinking that other people don't share. So it's just about saying there's something wrong with my thinking and I believe that there's a way out. The third step is really about um, coming to grips with the fact that um, I need to make a decision to commit to this way of life. Um, And then the next steps are actually the action steps of making that decision. So you have four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's the certain actions that addicts have to do. Um, it's about um, admitting your faults. It's about going to people to make amends. Um, it's about coming to grips with who you are, your faults, um, and wanting to really change, having a sincere desire. So those steps are the action steps. And then the rest of the steps are maintenance steps. You know, how do Mm. I maintain this way of being? Um, So it's not something you can do on your own. I mean, those action steps, those initial action steps where you have to go to somebody and say, I'm sorry, you have to actually own this. Mm. Um, Those must be the difficult bits. Yeah, all the steps are difficult. It's not an easy process to commit to, um, which is why a lot of people don't stick you know, they relapse, they go back, because it's, you won't believe, but that's more difficult sometimes than using. I think that was one of the things that we realized um, doing the, the program was that you think, you know, people, you think, okay, somebody's done step one, and then they move on to step two and step three, but so often you have to go back to step one um, and, and start all over. So, I mean, as, as far as has said in the series, it's not a quick fix. Yeah. So you're always going back to step one. Um, and, and so it's, it's sounds like a sort of a, a, an escalator that's moving and not necessarily always in the same direction. It sounds very, very, very difficult. Oh eight nine two ten twenty ten. If you'd like to give us a call, we have on the line Ishmael from Cape Town. Hi, Ishmael. Hi, thank you for taking my call, mm-hmm. and also welcome to your guests. Mm-hmm. I just want to pose uh, the uh, you know to your guests uh, that you know the reason for 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 I mean for this addiction. You know, our, our stars, our sports stars, our heroes are advertising alcohol. They are, they're advertising, uh, you know, it's cool to drink. 
I think that's where it starts, and when it's and it's like a social thing, you know, that that, that you got to drink in order to be in a you know in a social circle, and I think that is one of the stepping stones that we uh, we as uh, so-called government you must take. You know, you know, is to avoid the advertising of alcohol to our uh, to our youth, because our youth, you know, that they, they look up to heroes like uh, uh, you know, like rugby stars, cricket stars. You know, those those are the people that's the heroes, and here the heroes are drinking. It's like a normal thing, and gradually, gradually, they get addicted to these drugs, and then uh, I mean, it starts off you know, with alcohol, then eventually it goes to hard drugs like uh, Ishmael. Like, can uh, I cocaine. can I just ask you, Ishmael, is is this sort of something that you are assuming or is it something that you've seen within your community? It's something that I've seen my dear. It's just, something just you know some, some, you know our children are very vulnerable mm. and the peer pressure is put on them you know and I mean they are, they are in a social circle where drinking is normal. They, I mean they come into a society you know, you know, you know into a company or, or they befriend someone that is a, a that is a, that started to drink because of because of the social yeah. circle that there was in. Now he's been peer pressured in order you know you know to drink. It start off like it's it's normal. It's I mean, it's not a heavy thing, but gradually gradually they got addicted. They get they get addicted to it. You see. Is this somebody and, you know? Yes, yes, quite yeah. a few people that I yeah. know. Okay. Quite a few. Okay, Ishmael, thank but, you. That's that's but, one. But it's very important, you know. Uh, you know, our value system, you know, that's really, very, that is, it's also a contributive factor to, you know, to alcoholism and, and so drug yeah, abuse. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Also, thank you. And thank, to the radio. Thank very you. good topic. Thank you. Thanks very much, Ishmael. Yes, I, I, you know, 0892102010, if you'd like to share your thoughts, your experience and uh, ways in which you think we can do something to help or support people who are in that situation. I suppose we can, we can look at community issues, but for us, it's when you're, when you're the addict in question trying to crack it, um, it's a very lonely place, I would imagine. People. It's terrible. Mm. It's a horrible place. Um, in active addiction, um, the feelings are overwhelming, feelings of loneliness, desperation, hopelessness. Have you been there? I have. I have indeed, yeah. Was it, how, how, what sort of a journey was it for you? Um, can I say that it was a long and painful journey? Um, recovery was a long and painful journey. Active addiction was, well, it was hell. You know, hence to hell and back. Mm. Um, yeah, I used for quite a short time, from the age of 19 to the age of 30. And in that short time, I lost. I lost everything. I had nothing when I went into treatment. 19, between the ages of 19 and 30. Mm. Very formative years. Mm. What, what triggered you to do something about it? Well, actually nothing. I, I believe it was divine intervention. Mm. You know, I was suicidal. I just wanted to die. There was absolutely no reason for me to seek help. Um, but, you know, an opportunity presented, and I just went along with it. And the people around you, your family, your friends, your parents, how did they handle you? Sadly, uh, there were none. No family. I had made sure there were no friends left, so there was no one. It was just me. What were you trying to blot out? A lot of trauma. Mm. A lot of trauma, and... Um, like Sharon said, there is underlying trauma, and at Harmony, we believe that the addiction sort of keeps, it's like a pressure cooker, mm. and the, the actual substance keeps the lid on. When we take the lid off, 
um, in treatment and then all that other stuff just comes up. So we help them to deal with that trauma. It's a very huge part of our process is the trauma work. Yeah, that's a very good analogy. I, mm-hmm. I can imagine that you know, it's, whilst, you, whilst you're using whatever it may be mm-hmm. to keep your problems at bay, once mm-hmm. you start to remove those and you're left with all the, mm-hmm. all the demons on the inside. Mm-hmm. And now? Me now? Oh. oh, my life is beyond fabulous. <laughs> So it was. It was worth going to. Oh, absolutely! The it's worth. It's worth every minute. Every yeah. minute. Yeah. The issue of uh, how to cope with addiction, whether it's your own addiction or whether it's somebody in your family or community who's dealing with, is what we're talking about right now. And if you'd like to share your thoughts on it, maybe you've got experience or questions. Give us a call, 0892102010, Talking to Farinaz Dyer, she's an addiction counsellor, she's with Harmony. Also talking to Sharon Farr and Lee Otten, who have put together a television series called To Hell and Back. We're going to be getting a couple of those case histories in just a minute, stay tuned. But right now it's uh, 1.30, time for the news headlines with the sender. Thank you, Nancy. Good afternoon. Union and student leaders are addressing scores of teachers outside Parliament saying they support Satu's call for better working conditions. Striking teachers supported by learners have marched to Parliament as part of a one-day strike to increase pressure on the basic education minister to resign. Public Protector Tulima Donzela's investigation into allegations of corruption and nepotism against Communications Minister Dina Pule may be concluded within the next two weeks. And the attorney of a South African pediatric oncologist being held in the United Arab Emirates says they are waiting for confirmation from Abu Dhabi officials that Professor Cyril Karabas has been acquitted. For SAFM News, I'm Asanda Matsaunyane. Details at 2. Back to you, Nancy. Doing Kolani Gwala live from uh, 1900 to 2100 on the 30th of April at Glenhove Conference Centre with the Mail and Guardian and Seoul City Institute for Health and Development Communication as we collectively search for solutions to end violence in our society. A panel of influential guests will discuss issues of violence in South Africa and to book your seat to this special broadcast, email m at mt.co.za or call 011-250-7398. Mail and Guardian Critical Thinking Forum in partnership with SAFM. And here on Otherwise today on this Wednesday, it's our help desk. We're talking about coping with addiction. We've heard one woman's story, heard there from Farinaz. She's with the Harmony Group, incidentally. And uh, we've got Tertius waiting on the line. Hi, Tertius. Hi, Nancy. Hi. Um, I I think it's a really wonderful topic you have today. Um, I came out of a relationship, quite a long relationship, and um, my partner was actually, um, he just came out of rehab and, and everything, and um, going through the process with him and, and learning what he went through, um, it was, it, it's actually very, it's, it's horrible, and um, I went with him to a few NA meetings, and um, where he spoke, and while I was sitting there, um, I personally didn't have a drug addiction or a substance abuse, or, um, but I sat there and I, I realized that um, addiction is actually something we all have, and, and we live it out in some way or another. Some people use food, some people use prescription drugs, some people, we all have a way that we live out this addiction, and yeah. we can't judge people that are addicted because we are all living it out. It, it's... I, I must disagree with the previous caller that's saying that um, it's the media and all. It's it's just a way to cope. It's a way mm. to escape. 
Yeah. Tertius, you see, you used the word horrible at the NA meeting. What was horrible? What they'd been through? And uh, Describe that. No, it, the, the, the sad thing for me was to see that it's normal people. It's yeah. some of the most influential people in our country and some of the, the least influential people in our country. It, it's to see that it's everyday people and how they started and uh, yes, it wasn't drugs at the beginning or um, alcoholism or, or whatever, but how they, they found their escape with the substance. And you can't say that there's a certain person or addictive personality or so. I believe we all have a kind of addictive personality that, that have a way to, we find ways to escape from this. Yeah. Can I just ask you, what we're talking about here is coping with addiction, and it seems like you stood by your partner, you went along to the meetings. How did you cope with it? Did you get angry? Did you push your partner to go to the meetings? How did you handle it? Uh, he actually took me with, and the thing was just, it, I was just so proud of him because what happened was to hear the stories, to hear um, what he's been through, and to hear that he's taken responsibility for his life. Um, I think the biggest thing with coping with addiction is to find out what your demons are, find out what is that that you're trying to avoid and what is that that you're trying to hide. Some people do it because they were molested while they were young or some people do it because they have insecurities like about themselves and so. So it was just to hear that he's like got to a place where he found out what yeah. those insecurities are, what those things he's trying to hide from. Well, he, so I, I, I was really proud of him. Yeah, and, um, we're going to leave it. It was really sad to, hear, to see other people sitting there as well and and realizing that they they haven't understood yet that it's running away from something. Yeah. It, it's not using it. The, 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 the problem here is not the drug. It's not the, the substance. It's not the alcohol. It's it's that thing you're running away from. Yeah. That's Just what we're going to do. We're going to leave it there. Sadly, your, your line's a bit windy, but thank you. Thanks for sharing. 0892102010. I have to say it's a, it's a close relationship that can survive that because, uh, foreign as I'm sure that there are many partners or, or parents or family members or, uh, like you, friends who just walk away because they can't deal with it. Is, it. is it quite usual that you get close relationships surviving this, people coming along to to help with the More addict? often than not. The families um, are very involved. So part of the treatment process is to educate the family. Um, we have sessions where the family sits down with the addict and they have op- um, honest and open conversations for maybe the first time in years, you know. And um, so more often than not, actually, the family does get involved and they try and heal. Yeah. They try and heal as a family. Imagine it must be quite helpful to know that there are people looking out for you there to help you. Um, we've got uh, Anonymous on the line, and if you'd like to give us a call, 0892 Hi, Anonymous. Hi, Nancy. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Good, man. Nancy, first of all, I want to disagree with the last statements made by your previous caller. Not everybody has got demons that they want to run away from. And I'll tell you why, because... My spouse used to suffer from migraine headaches, okay? Because of the migraine headaches, she was on certain codeine tablets. And now she's addicted to those tablets. She actually takes them uh, preempting that she's going to be getting a migraine headache, okay? So she doesn't have any problems of, of any sort. 
she's nearly addicted to the medication. I've actually been to the farmers to say, please stop providing her with these tablets because it's driving us crazy. Okay? We've even gone as far as hiding the tablet, and now we found that the farmers have just prescribed her with cough mixture. Okay? Now, I don't understand all of this. My wife doesn't really have any social problems, any demons, any uh, historical factors that bother her. It's a simple addiction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our discussion on the radio now is excellent, but I'd like to have, get some advice and some feedback as to how do we, as husbands, approach a situation mm-hmm. like this mm-hmm. that I'm in right now. Okay. Anonymous, thank you. Um, will you stay listening on the radio? Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, a simple addiction. I'm sure there's no such thing as a simple addiction, but I hear what he's saying, a physical addiction. Um, a plea from the heart there, foreigners. What does he do? He's hiding the stuff, going to the pharmacy, saying don't let her have it. What's the answer? It's the same behavior um, that people living with an alcoholic will, will do. It's the same mm-hmm. thing. So simple addiction... I'm not sure about that. Um, he can give us a call, absolutely, okay. and we will chat to him and advise him on what steps to take, how best to help his wife. Okay. Because um, codeine addiction is quite serious. Yeah. But you'd be able to talk him through some absolutely. solutions? We'll tell him exactly what he needs to okay. do. Okay. It, it's not really something that you can sort of spend 10 minutes on the yeah. phone and get it sorted. Yeah, no, he can come in. We, yeah. we offer free assessments. Okay. Mm. Anonymous, if you're listening, maybe that's a, maybe that's a way to go. Uh, you're, you're down here in Cape Town, but have you got other branches? No, not okay. at the moment. Give us your number and perhaps you can... 021-790-779-779. Okay, Anonymous, give them a call and perhaps they can uh, focus directly on your problem. 021-790-779. We've got uh, Dee on the line. Hi, Dee. Hi. Um, I just wanted to um, add a, a bit of a comment. Um, I was addicted at one stage as well. Um, and, you know, I actually agree with the previous caller where a lot of people try and fill their um, liver to maybe address. And I do think alcohol is a, a real starting ground for a lot of these addictions. But I also do think that, you know, people have got, I normally find, which is the case with me, um, you know, we're made up of three. It's body, mind, and soul. And I just find with a lot of people with addictions, there's a void in their lives that they're trying to fill and you try and fill it with drinking or smoking or what drugs or whatever and I I think once you find yourself and you can accept yourself and you accept um accept that there's something missing out of your life and you fill it with the right thing mm-hmm. you you become whole. Otherwise you go around looking and searching to make yourself whole and I that's just my opinion. You say that um, you say that you've been there, Dee. Um, yeah. Who helped you and how? I just helped myself. I just cried and I hated what the situation was. And I had two children, and I just the whole time it was the most traumatic thing to know what I was exposing my children to. And I just kept crying out to the Lord, and it was just a miraculous thing that I managed to get into rehab center, yeah. and I sorted myself out. And then my husband actually followed on, and we've battled it out with two of us, and um, 
Yeah, um, he keeps relapsing, but I actually just feel I am so whole and um, sorry okay. about that. Now, I tell you what, we're, we're going to leave it at that, Dee, but well done, and thank you for, for calling in and being brave enough to do that. Uh, Gerald on the line. Hi, Gerald. Hi, Nancy. How are you? Mm, well, thanks. I'm good. Nancy, I, I just want to add to some of what uh, some of your callers had indicated. Um, with, with addiction, there's not always a quick fix kind of thing where we say um, this person has an addiction and uh, it's because he's got personal issues or, it's an, you know, there's a simple addiction. Addictions always are a symptom of something else. Um, I, I've, I've had an opportunity to deal with young people in various forms of addiction and we often look at the issue of alcohol and uh, you know drugs uh, and stuff like that but there's also addictions like um, emotional addictions where people need certain types of emotional support and they're not getting it from where, where it's supposed to come and they, they, they move into a type of addiction to draw that kind of attention and I think um, I'd like to you know um, say big ups to your guest there because they they, they are not dealing with just an addiction you know Uh, one of your callers actually said the statement actually comes a lot from people who are supporting people who have addiction problems they say I don't know how to help, or I don't know why this person is doing this. Mm-hmm. If if people were to be taught and to understand that, you know, you, you don't just deal with uh, the, the the addiction itself, because when we deal with it, we tend to be antagonistic, and we cause the person to actually shut down. Like the lady was, somebody said, uh, a family member even hides. Um, their addiction, they, they, they hide their medication that they are addicted yeah. to. Yeah, we, um, we've got it. Gerald, Gerald we're we, going we, to leave it at that. We're yeah. a little short of time, but I think we've, we've made some good points there. Thank you very much. Um, emotional addiction. Sharon, I just want to come back to you and the series that you've made because it's, it's been about drugs, drugs and alcohol addiction, but also about bulimia, alcohol, um, self-destructive, codependency, all those other things, which is what Gerald's saying. Some right. of these addictions are emotional, sex and love not least. How did the, the people that you were following, I mean, let's take the sex and love addiction, how did they cope with the, their rehabilitation? Whew, I mean, it's got to be watched to believe, <laughs> to be believed. I mean, it was, it was a roller coaster, you know. I mean, and, and we were on it with them in, in many regards. I mean, we were filming it. Um, they were very comfortable with us being there. But, I mean, it, it was quite a journey for all of us. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's raw, it's heartwarming, it's relentless, it's heartbreaking. And how does it work? Because I think what Dee was saying about, you know, an addiction is filling a void. Sure. Um, how was the void filled? Yeah, yeah so that's what I was saying earlier, the 12 steps. It's a, mm. it's a spiritual program, and that's what it does. Yeah. It actually fills that hole in the soul. So you're using something something um, constructive as opposed to something destructive. I suppose, you know, in the, with the, the image of, of there being a void that's being filled with the addiction, you know, out comes the whatever it is that they're addicted to, and there remains this void. How do you, do you, I mean, as a partner, as a, a spouse or whatever, do you pour in emotion there to, to help them through it? You know, what do you do if you're the, on the outside? If you're on the outside, you allow the addict 
to do what they need to do. But actually, you need to detach. And that is why families also are encouraged to do their own healing work, attend support groups, get individual therapy, because um, the addict has to go through their process. And no matter how much you love them or how, mu- how angry you are at them, because um, families... The family members take on different roles. Mm. So you'll have the angry family member. Um, you'll have the one that's really nice and tries to make life as easy as possible, hoping that that's going to help. So eventually the family sees nothing they do is helping. And they have to actually just allow this person to go through their journey and figure so things out. What is the most useful family member? <laughs> what, what sort of role do they take? Do they take them by the hand and say, go and get help? Can I just say that the roles, they're well-meaning. Um, you know, the families don't intend to cause harm. But at the end of the day, the harder you try to control the addicts using, you know, it's not helpful. You're, it's you're not, not helpful You're not equipped, all. in other words. You can't, yeah. It just doesn't help, you yeah. know, um, trying to control the using because it's uncontrollable. That's what powerlessness is. It's out of control. You know, we've we've spoken to a lot of adults, or we've heard a lot of adult stories, and I suppose my heart is with the you know the mothers, the parents of very young children. We heard that earlier, preteens, very very young kids. How do you you know when you're when you're a parent and you you feel you should be able to control your child? What do you do then? Oh, it's heartbreaking. It's can you imagine telling a mother, you know, you need to let go, you need to detach. There's nothing you can do the hardest thing for us to have to tell a parent, you know, and they struggle with that. Lee, you're sitting here um, in silence, but I, I imagine that this has been a very, uh, uh, a very mind-shifting series to work on. What mm. have you learned? I don't know if there's any drug abuse or uh, addictions in your family or amongst your friends, but what have you learned from this series? There aren't any in my family um, that I'm aware of. Um, I think for me, it, it, it what I learned out of the series was that it's it's so much more complex than just an addiction. Um, the word codependency is something that, that came up a lot. And a lot of our addicts who were going through that process realized that they were alcoholics, drug, drug addicts, gamblers, and suddenly codependent was added onto that list. And codependent, one sort of imagines that that's codependent. You, you know, there are two people who are doing each other harm, but it's codependency... Explain that term. I'd like for us to explain yeah, that term. She'd do a better job. Okay, a codependency um, really is, is having a dysfunctional relationship with yourself, and as a result of that, you know the way you relate to external to people um, is also dysfunctional. So you'll find some people are very um, we call them people pleasing, where they do anything for aff- affirmation and approval. Um, that's one type. And then there's the other type that's extremely self-sufficient, that walks around not needing anything, you know, um, quite detached. So really it's got very little, you don't get codependent on someone. Mm. It's just a relationship you have with yourself that impacts how you be in the world. And you, Sharon, did you, what, what have you learned, apart from the fact that there's some very, <coughs> very stressed out people there, one way or another? Um, I suppose I've learned that, yeah, I mean, in a way, we, we, all, we, we all can learn from the experiences of these six people. I mean, while their situations are, are possibly more extreme, say, than mine, um, I learned so much that I would say I learned life skills. Um, as with Lee, I learned a lot about codependency. You learn to identify 
um, sort of possible unhealthy patterns that you've had in the past. You might recognize them in yourself. Yeah, recognize them in yourself and your relationships, you know, with, with everybody around you to varying degrees. Just very briefly, lastly, men, women of the six? Oh, um, we have uh, four men, two women. Um, the ages, it's a full spectrum. Um, we've got a young man of 24. We've got two, two men who are 52. We've got three people in their 30s, gay, straight, young, old, black, white, coloured, well, religious, said, irreligious. Addiction, addiction can get us all, so none of us are able to stand back. Sharon Farr, thank you very much. Uh, Lee Otten, thank you very much from Shoot the Breeze. Farinad, thank you very much. Uh, Farinad Dyer, she's an addiction counsellor. She's with the Harmony Group. And if you'd like to get hold of them, Google them, or the number is 021-790-779. Once again, that first episode of To Helen Back is this Sunday at 9pm on SABC2. Right now, it's time for Sharp Sharp for Children.